His name was Brian Downing, but the name of his game, well, that was a little something called baseball. A game as patriotic as hot dogs and getting mad at people who put ketchup on their hot dogs. It's America's pastime, and Downing didn't just perfect the sport, he played it. Ask any Chicago White Sox fan who remembers the 1977 season, and they'll tell you. Oh, totally. Of course I remember that season, y'all. Yeah. There have been two summers that are the best in my entire life. That, and the summer that Itu Mama Tambien came out. I mean, the cinematography alone is just... Oh, I get choked up thinking about it. Life was good back then. Jimmy Carter was president. Toto had just been founded. And Gene Rayburn had finally stopped alluding to the bicentennial during every episode of Match Game. Things couldn't have been brighter for a country on the brink of a peanut renaissance. For fans of the White Sox, however, things could have been maybe slightly better. They finished 1972 that year, sure, but it wasn't enough to contend with the 102-win Kansas City Royals, who that season were known for having themselves quite the afternoons. They had the little intangibles that showed they knew how to play the old stick and ball the right way, like dirt dogs. The White Sox didn't have this quality, which made them less and inferior. But they did have Downing, who was about as Chicago as they come. Welcome to Anatomy of a Trading Card, a new investigative podcast series from me, Dave Wheelrout, that seeks to answer every question that comes from Brian Downing's 1977 Topps baseball card. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Oats and foods. Hey there, buckaroos. Hey there, pals. My name is Certifiable Sam, and I'm about to sprain your brain. Have you ever been sipping down on an ice cream float and thought, you know what's missing from this oatmeal? Well, I've got the solution for you. Come on down to Oats and Floats to get a heaping pile of hot oatmeal and carbonated ice cream soda. Please don't ask us to have oatmeal cookies. Dinosaur oatmeal is provided. Located wherever highways have exits. Born in Los Angeles in October 9th, 1950, Brian Downing was a pretty good ball player. For a righty. Having always loved that he shared his birth month with Halloween, Downing set out at the beginning of the 77 season to coin the nickname Mr. October for himself. Just as it was catching on, the New York Yankees steamrolled their way to a championship on the heels of one player who seemed hell-bent on taking the nickname for himself. Downing appeared in 69 games that season for the White Sox. He will appear in even fewer episodes of this deep dive podcast. When I reached out to all involved in the biggest question of Downing's season, everyone was an immediate yes to be interviewed. That is, everyone except for the man at the center of the confusion. Downing turned me down flat and only prompted a demure no comment when prodded about that aforementioned 69-game total. Everything I've learned about his story comes from the eyewitness accounts on the day of the photo shoot. That season, he spent most of his time as a catcher, but fans spent most of their time puzzling about the kind of person Downing tried to portray himself as. This was a time before walk-up songs, a time before tickers at the bottom of the screen that would tell fans at home which Mark Wahlberg movie was a player's favorite. Individuality was not celebrated in 1977. Instead, it was quelled. Players were expected to hike up their cleats and be the best damn ball players this town had ever seen. Downing adhered to no such rule. For him, the 77 season was going to be different. It would be memorable. And that began with a photo shoot at the outset of the season. After all, what's most synonymous with baseball? Steroids? The Statue of Liberty? Making sure you're 
just in home in time for dinner. Sure, these are all great elements of the game we love to sit out on the porch and listen to on the radio on those warm summer nights while we watch the hammocks swing. But none of them are as tied to the past as trading cards are. You're not a baseball fan if you don't have a collection of baseball cards from the season you first started following the game up in your room. I can see mine right from where I'm sitting and recording this podcast. And boy, Maglio Dernias sure was a looker. The history of baseball cards is a fruitful, well-documented one. Mickey Mantle, Jay Buhner, the old shoeless wonder himself. Whenever the century turned, the trading card industry turned right back. And they gave the century a little wink and a shimmy, too. But even though Brian Downing's 1977 Topps trading card was not as famous as some of the aforementioned ones, Honus Wagner, anybody? It arguably has an even more miraculous claim. It's the most bizarre trading card ever created. The structure of the card is, to borrow from baseball's burnout sports cousin golf, par for the course for Topps in the 70s. Team name, player name, position, a bizarre serial code, an assurance that the image is an actual image. Everything kids love. It's the picture where things get a little bit dicey. Here was Brian Downing, on the cusp of a 284 season in which he'd smack four home runs, drive in 25 runs, and throw in several doubles just to keep pitchers and fans on their toes. The Steve McQueen-esque glint in his eyes hinted towards the middling magic that was to come. The rest of the card, well, it tells a different story. An oversized, flat-topped hat with an enormous brim that makes you forget all about eyebrows. Golden locks shorn in a bob reminiscent of a dugout extra from the bench warmers. A collared shirt made to trick the naked eye into thinking, is that a jersey? A turtleneck underneath. A cast on his left arm. Tinted glasses that still allow you to see directly into those piercing eyes. The smallest mouth you've ever seen. It's all here, right at Comiskey Park. Or Anaheim Stadium, with a green screen that the photographer would later put Comiskey Park into. There is nothing normal or comforting about this image. It's one of the strangest to ever grace the annals of God's greatest game. Except for an impending civil war among the mollusks. God's really playing on that one. But what would you say if I told you that the story of how the image came to be was even stranger? That the day leading up to the photo shoot was perhaps the last innocent one that America would ever see? The entrepreneurial spirit of Downing's ocular-obsessed sister-in-law, Felicity Front Door. A chance encounter with a young computer whiz named Steve Wozniak. A Chicago barber, Roe Canerco, turned L.A. transplant, serving a life sentence for a crime he maintains he didn't commit, and lacks the ability to say words that rhyme with break. And a down-on-her-luck custodian, Allegra Goodbye Gulch, who cut corners at Comiskey whenever she could, not that she'd be the first to do it. Each of these people played a pivotal role in how this trading card came to life. But to fully understand the world in which Downing found himself operating on that fateful, tops-themed day, we have to go back even further. Back to the days on the bayou. Journey with me to Hockley, Louisiana, a little hamlet of a swamp town on the banks of the local Mud Jump River. It's not a town Brian Downing was familiar with, but ask any of the locals, and they knew all about the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox? Oh, we love them. Yeah, no contest. We've never had a baseball team here in the Pelican State. We got the Saints, who dat, right? And the Pelicans, obviously. But nope, never a baseball team, so we adopted the White Sox. I don't really remember why. I want to say because of hot dogs? It's here where Felicity Front Door was born, right around the nadir of the century. 
She grew up in a moss-laden shanty just east of Soup Creek, and all of the local townsfolk just adored that they had a new baby they could all ogle over. I remember when Felicity was born. I put my hot dog right down on the desk and set out to Soup Creek. I did not have a gift, so I just brought the mustard I was using for that hot dog. I like to apply mustard to my hot dog on a bite-by-bite basis. You know, it's how it's done down here in Hockley, Louisiana. I ran into one of my buddies who was actually just on his way to the front door family, too. He was bringing ketchup. I thought that was so complimentary I could not believe my luck. Just as we were coming around the bend, the sun came and ran out above the house and it just about blinded me. It looked like a North Star or something. I didn't even see that we'd bumped into another buddy of ours. He was bringing frankincense. But it wasn't long before Felicity's front door grew too big for her crib. And soon, she had grown too big for Hockley. A passionate sense of ambition lived within Felicity, and she was eager to get out and see if the world had reins she could grab. Snow, crepes, leopards, a world of exoticism lived out there, and Felicity was just desperate to see it. Taking inspiration from Jack Lemon in the apartment and Tom Jones in Tom Jones, she was hell-bent on shaking off the stale cobwebs of complacency. It just took a best-picture marathon to realize it. Hello. Hello? Hello? This is Felicity. Oh, great. This is Dave, the one from uh, AOL Instant Chat. Oh, hi, Dave. Nice to, nice to be speaking to you. How can I help you? So, I had to ask. Um, I'm doing this investigative sort of podcast, um, if you will, into uh, into um, Brian Downing. And um, I know that there's a story here with between you and him and so I just wanted to call you up and and see what what your side of the story is and basically like track it maybe from when you left Louisiana oh yeah I know I know Brian we we go back um let, let me see how should I put this well when I first met left Hockley I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I'd maybe get into VCR repair or try to find one of those factories that make them, makes them deck cards or something like that. I don't know. I figured they had to be out there somewhere. There was nothing really in my phone book under playing card factory or deck of playing card factory. So I, I figured I'd just start from the coast and work my way east. Eventually, I'd have to find that dang factory. <laughs> Sure enough, I got on a train to uh, Los Angeles and promptly ran out of money cold. So I did what any young kid just heading out into the world does, and I took the first flyer I could find from one of those telegram pole thingies. Um, in big letters, it said, auditions only. Oh, auditions tomorrow. I figured that was a sign from God. I did. So I marched right to the address, and that's where I slept for the night. Okay, uh, what was what was the audition for? Oh, turns out it was to play one of the those Southern Belle type female leads in a new Roy Rogers picture. I don't reckon there was much room for those sorts of movies in Hollywood anymore. Ever since Dustin Hoffman shot up heroin with John Boyd, but it's that movie I auditioned for, and that that's the part I got. It was some horse and lasso shoot 'em up movie called The Milk Bottles at Sunset. The union rate for a day of shooting back then was thirty four fifty, and it was more money than I'd seen in my entire life. I was plumb dumb at the thought of it, so I went and hired an independent contractor to build me my own apartment to live in. 
So, wait, did you keep acting? Oh, sure. As my name is Felicity Front Door, I did. But, well, as it turned out, to build an apartment, you need to build your own apartment building around it, you know, real official-like. So, by the time my contract was finished, I was fresh out of money again. So, what, what do I do? I walk right back to that telegram pole, and I grab another paper that says, Wanted. Landlord for new apartment building. So I follow that address and I squeeze in the lobby. And when I wake up in the morning, it hits me right in between the temples. It was my own apartment building I'd slept in. So after feeling real dumb for like a minute, I took the job I did and I made the building exclusive to only the biggest stars of the 1970s Burt Reynolds, Barbara Streisand, Cher, but not Sonny, Casey Kasem. By then, I couldn't deposit the money fast enough. Might as well have been wallpaper. And that was enough to satisfy your ambitions? Well, I was making loads of money, but I wasn't really doing anything. Do you know what I reckon? So, I kept up the landlording for a couple years, but I was just driven mad by it. I was forced to stay in one place for work, for play, for lunges, for everything. So one day, I pack up all my things. I march over to Cher's door and told her, get yourself a new landlord. And I walked right back to the train station. But them's the thing. On the way, that telegram pole caught my eye. There was a big piece of paper stapled to it that said, Felicity, turn around. <laughs> I felt like it meant me. So I turned around right on the dime, and there I saw him. Ball cap downing. Wait, ball cap downing, the brother of Brian? Yeah, that's the one. He came up to me and told me that his brother was a big, shiny baseball player, and that he had loads of money from the White Sox, and that he wanted a spot in my building. I told him I wasn't the landlord anymore, and that he'd need to speak with Cher. But he told me he didn't care about Cher. He only wanted me, and he kissed me. I tell you, I shouldn't have been upset by that, but I just could. Bokeh knew how to kiss. Later, I'd see his yearbook, and he won the superlative best kisser. I told him my yearbook would never have gone for such a thing. The only superlative we had was most likely to spit him down the bullfrog. So I did what any young, distressed landlord does, and I, I married him on the spot. All L.A. train conductors were ordained ministers after all, and I was happy to do it. Together, we'd have loads of money. And ball cap, he was just getting all of his money from Brian? See, well, here's the thing. He was actually quite successful on his own, if I do say so. I do. I say so. I do. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. I do. He started his own glasses business, you see, and it might as well have been the Swami himself because that business was booming. Oh, we lived a good life for a couple years, but soon enough, my pesky ambitions were gnawing at me again, and I couldn't stay content with myself. I went down to his glasses garage one night. We were living in the San Fernando Valley down in some wet house basement at the time, and he had his own garage to tinker with new glasses designs. Ugh, my husband, a regular patent pusher back, back ball cap was. But I had my own ideas. 
So I went down there, and it was me who invented tinted glasses. Like sunglasses? No, everyone always does that. Tinted glasses, not sunglasses, honey. You invented tinted glasses in the 1970s, so they've only been around for 50 years? Sure, as a peach pie on a windowsill, baby. I got so into the idea that I forgot to tell Ballcap about it. And before I knew it, Morning had come and I'd taken all of his glasses prototypes and turned them tinted. I did all on my own. <laughs> Must have been about two, three thousand tin glasses in that garage. A pile of them was just hanging in its net above the garage door. I looked around and I realized what I did and just about started crying. I was worried I'd tank Ballclap's entire empire in one span of one evening. I knew he'd be upset. He didn't want me to make glasses. He wanted me to stay at home and sit pretty and make a house. Be- That's all he wanted, but I couldn't help it. I just wanted to be an inventor. And more than anything, I wanted someone to wear my damn tinted glasses. I did. I knew it in my soul. It was what I was put on this planet to do. And just when I thought I was going to get chewed out by Ballcap, when he opened the garage door, we heard the doorbell. It was Brian. Brian Downing? Was he there to play the Dodgers? Oh, no, honey. It was picture day, and he was there for me. That's going to do it for episode one of Anatomy of a Trading Card. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit Oats and Floats which is found on highways, I guess. On the next episode, we speak to a veteran of the tech industry. Until then, be safe and keep an eye out. You never know when your supply of glasses will be tinkered with.